Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Good evening and welcome to Done By Law on 3CR 855am, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. It's currently... 5.59pm and you're here with Katia, Beth and Marissa. Last week, Edith Cohen University, in conjunction with Perth Children's Court, released a report that explored public opinion towards the sentencing of young people in the criminal justice system. The research found that public attitudes towards sentencing were often less severe than government proposals for law and order policies. The study surveyed over 500 adults from Western Australia and found that many people, for many people rehabilitation was a primary concern. In a media release, the university noted that the public was more lenient when the offender was younger and had no prior record or had completed a drug rehabilitation program prior to sen- sentencing. According to our guest tonight, the results of this study are not new or surprising. Research from decades of surveying public attitudes towards sentencing have shown that the public is often more lenient about punitive responses to crime than what the media or politicians would have us believe. To speak with us tonight about public attitudes to sentencing from a Victorian perspective, we have Dr Karen Gelb. Karen is a consultant criminologist and a former senior criminologist at the Sentencing Advisory Council of Victoria. She's also a lecturer at Melbourne University and a specialist in the area of public attitudes towards sentencing. Welcome, Karen. Thank you for having me. Karen, first off, I thought we might talk a little bit about the work you do. You have conducted a lot of research on this topic. And so what are some of the research methods used to track public attitudes towards sentencing? Well, it really depends on the purpose of the research. Uh, For people who really want to understand what informed public judgment is about, the best way is to take the time to speak with people, give them information first before you ask them for their opinion. And the research literature differentiates between top-of-the-head mass public opinion, Mm -hmm. so that doesn't require a whole lot of thought, and more informed public judgment. And that sort of research uh, provides people with information about crime and justice issues, um, for example, the cost of uh, imprisonment or what the crime rate has been doing, allows them the opportunity to sit and think and Mm -hmm. digest and ask questions and discuss and then asks them for a more nuanced sort of opinion, uh, a judgment about uh, their thoughts on crime and justice issues, in particular on sentencing. Now, that's really the optimal way to do it, and that's called a deliberative poll kind of approach. But it's very time-consuming and very costly. There's one that was done in the United Kingdom where people were brought in for two days of this process. So it's a very costly exercise. There's also focus group 
research that has been done, uh, which goes some way to providing an opportunity to discuss and think about pe uh, people's attitudes. That does not happen that often. Again, logistical issues. More typically what you find are representative surveys where, for example, a national sample will be taken, people will be asked a survey, they can be given some information in the survey and are asked for their thoughts that way. And what you'll often see in the newspaper is the media poll. So that single question, for example, are sentences too tough, too lenient or about right? That's the most simplistic mm -hmm. kind of question. It's certainly the easiest um, but it provides you with the least valuable information. Okay. And so does that then... So you've got those different methods of tracking those attitudes. So in Victoria, because you, you mentioned one that was from, I think, the United States, you said. So in Victoria, what are some of the ones that are kind of used here or have been done more so here in Victoria? Well, we've certainly had the newspaper polls yeah. and there are a couple of ones that were done over the last uh, 20 years or so by the Herald Sun. Uh, the Sentencing Advisory Council, though, really made an effort to uh, understand public opinion about sentencing mm -hmm. more closely and worked as part of a national team with researchers around the country to undertake a representative survey of uh, respondents and to try and give them more information and get more nuanced attitudes. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole suite of, of reports that have come out of that, some really interesting work. Um, the other thing that's going on, in fact, right now is a study that is being done by Professor Kate Warner out of the University of Tasmania with her colleagues, which is an absolutely brilliant study, and I would highly recommend people find it uh, on the – there's some information on the Australian Institute of Criminology website about a Tasmanian version of this study that was done first – uh, she has, she and her colleagues have taken that idea of informed public opinion mm -hmm. to its most, um, I guess, a, a really extreme end. What they've done is they've said, who is really most informed about what's going on in the courts and about particular sentences? And they've said it's jurors. Yeah. Jurors are the people who are sitting in on the case. They are hearing everything that the judge is hearing. So when they are asked about their opinions on the sentence for that offender, they have all the same information that the judge has had. Yeah. And their information is well and truly informed. They've had the opportunity to, uh, to talk about it, to discuss the, the factual issues of the case with other jurors, and they've had time to think about all the facts of the case and to come up with, uh, with their opinions. And that's been really interesting because they've, they've found that jurors are not more punitive uh, than judges. And in fact, almost two thirds of jurors asked about a sentence for their particular case are more lenient Mm -hmm. than the judge was in the sentence that was actually imposed. Yeah, because I actually looked a little bit at Kate Warner's work and found that that was really interesting to me. So they were often more lenient in their own cases, is that right? That's correct. But not so much when they heard about other cases. And how is there anything in Kate's work that attributes to or can explain why for them in their particular case they had more lenient views than other cases? Yeah, there's this real gap between the perceptions of their particular case where they're far more likely to be lenient 
than the actual sentence imposed and the general, the abstract. So yeah. in the abstract, when you ask jurors, are sentences too tough, too lenient or about right, they still say they're, they're too lenient. So okay. in the abstract, they feel that sentences are too lenient, but not in the specific. And really, I guess that's about uh, the information that people have access to. So they, when they've sat and they've heard all the facts about the case, they've seen the offender sitting in front of them. I mean, the offender is an actual person, not an abstract. Yeah. And they know the details about the kind of offence. Then you can get that more thoughtful response. In the abstract, we know that people are thinking about violent and repeat offenders when they're asked that simplistic abstract question. The research has shown by asking people as a follow-up question what kind of offender were you thinking about when you said that sentences are too lenient? And most people will say a violent offender mm. and, a repeat, and or a repeat offender. So when you're thinking about that kind of person, it's not unexpected that you would say that sentences are too lenient. Yeah. So it's really about the kind of, of shortcut, the kind of heuristic that people are using to uh, to answer that question. Yeah, because they're connecting it into a narrative, into context and into things that they can kind of understand. That's correct. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. correct. And that's their experience with, um, you know, what's what's out there in the world, what what sort of crime is out there in the world. And yeah. there's, there's a whole lot of research on the role of the media in public perceptions of sentencing as well. It's really interesting. And so following on from that then how is some of the data that say you've collected when you're with sentencing advisory council and also from kate's work so how is that data then used to say advocate or work with governments or well the academics use the the data to try and provide a research base this is the evidence this is what we know Um, advocacy uh, organizations try and use the data to say look hang on a sec let's not just assume that everyone is terribly punitive because that's not what the data show. Mm-hmm. Politicians, of course, not unexpectedly, use the data for their own purposes and often to justify the get tough, tough on crime approach. Yeah. Uh, it's not easy to be elected into office by saying, I think we need to have fewer people in prison. I think we need to focus on yeah. rehabilitation. I think we need to keep people out of the criminal justice system. But that's what the research shows is actually going to reduce crime. Mm. It's just a very tough sell for a politician who wants to get into office and then stay in office once there. So typically you find that uh, media polls, if, if data are used, it's going to be media polls in response to the you know, too tough, too lenient sort of question. Um, and then I say if data are used because often there's no data. Mm-hmm. A politician will come out and say, I make no apologies. You hear that a lot. Yeah. You know, we make no apologies for getting tough on crime. This is what the people want. And you sort of throw your hands up in the air and say, well, show me. Mm. Show me. Where, where is it that people want that? Where are the data to support that? And there are no data to support that position. Yeah. Um, also going back to some of Kate's work when I was looking at it, there was another really interesting point that came out about people that had been victims and experienced a crime for themselves also weren't often as punitive as maybe media would let on or or certain victim support groups or so there's this that for me was really interesting that you would expect maybe someone that had been affected by crime to maybe come back with some kind of 
a retaliation or be feel punitive towards a sentence, um, and they actually weren't. So where does that research come from or how has that been explored? That's a really interesting point that's found pretty consistently across the research. I'm not aware of anyone who's gone in depth to speak with Mm. victims and try to find out why that may be. So one can hypothesise that it's perhaps their experience with having sat through a case, having seen the workings of the criminal justice system, perhaps uh, acknowledging how difficult sentencing is. It's hard. Mm. It's a really tough job. When you speak to judges and magistrates, they say it's a really hard thing to do. Uh, There's also perhaps a realisation of how complex offending can be and the Mm. reasons underlying offending and the chaos and complexity in people's, in offenders' lives. Mm. Uh, Perhaps it's that, perhaps it's something to do with the importance of procedural justice that victims in research again have have said that they're more concerned with the fairness Mm. of the criminal justice system and the way they have been treated and their opportunity to be heard and to have a say and to have their day in court than it is about the the mm. outcome itself. But of course, you when you look at the at the media, you're not going to find uh, media reports of uh, you know a, a victim or a victim's family standing on the steps of the court saying, "We think the judge did a brilliant job. This was fantastic." That's not really the sort of news story that mm. makes it into, into newspapers. You don't see a headline, judge gets it right. Uh, what you see is the aggrieved people, yeah. uh, the aggrieved victims and, and family members. Um, and typically in the heat of the moment, you know, they've just walked out of court. So the media representations don't allow for that uh, the passage of time for a more nuanced uh, opinion and attitude to come out, and that's what can come out in the good, in the good research. Mm. And you mentioned before as well, so how you've you've talked about the research that you've collected and how that's used and or often not used by governments. Um, and then you, we had a chat before the show, and you were saying that some of your consulting work is also with courts. So does that does this research around public opinion also then affect maybe how you would consult with courts or and in that sense? I think the courts are very aware of the need to communicate with the public. Yeah. And I think they're very sensitive to the fact that what they do is seen as it, – it's seen quite negatively. There's not a lot of confidence in the courts. And we've shown that in Victoria that the levels of confidence in the courts are not particularly high. Mm. So the courts are aware of that and they're sensitive to that fact. Um, courts are open. Anyone can go in at any time and have a look at a court yeah. and see how a case works and how the court runs. But, of course, people don't. People have their own lives. They, they don't do that. Mm. Um, so I think the, the courts are aware and they try to uh, have media strategies. They've certainly made a huge effort in the last five to ten years to have media liaison people, people who try to write plain English versions of cases so the journalists can have faster, easier access mm. to make sure that the representation that makes it into the newspaper or onto radio is is accurate and clear. So the courts themselves are very well aware of um, what's been called a crisis in confidence, and not just in the courts, but in the criminal justice system as a whole. Yeah. And uh, when consulting with the courts, certainly they are um, aware of the value of evidence and data, 
and uh, the need for that communication. I mean, the courts serve the community and the courts are aware that they serve the community. So uh, they, they do what they can to be able to do that well. Great. Um, thanks for your insights so far, Karen. Uh, it's just on 6.14, so we'll head off to a short break for a community announcement and then we'll be back to talk some more. 3CR presents Communities of Sound, a summer afternoon showcasing treaty, creative women and diverse cultures. Live performances from Kutcher Edwards, Tundo, the West Papuan Band, Sweet Dreams, Manisha Anjali, June Jones and Danny C. Catch us at the Fairfield Amphitheatre, Sunday 18th of February, 5 to 7.30pm. Communities of Sound is a free event presented as part of the Fairfield and Feb series. The City of Yarra is a proud sponsor of 3CR. Welcome back to Done By Law on 3CR 855 AM. We're chatting with Dr Karen Galb, consultant criminologist and lecturer at Melbourne University, about public attitudes towards sentencing. So... I want to talk a little bit about um, there's a resource on the sentencing advisory website called Virtual You Be the Judge, uh, and it's where participants get to go online and put themselves in the shoes of the sentencing judge and hear stories from the defendant, um, from the defendant's lawyer, prosecutor, also read victim impact statements um, and reports from community corrections as well and so I had a go on it and had a bit of fun and I noticed at the end um, you get to compare your results so what you would sentence a defendant for and that is compared then to the sentencing judge and then also the public and what I found often so there were two particular cases where there was a very strong narrative about around drug use um, homelessness um, and kind of issues around employment and so in those cases and these weren't violent offences they were sort of more property offences and theft and those offences I found that everyone or the participants were actually far more lenient than the sentencing judge and then the violent offences not so much some were more punitive Um, so looking at some of those I saw these common threads in your research that you've done with sentencing advisory council do you notice common threads that people sort of tap into when there's something that comes up in a story that affects a, a member of the public in a way that they might be more lenient? Yeah, absolutely. And this is um, the Sentencing Advisory Council's research, but also research around the world. I mean, there's remarkable mm. consistency always within public opinion about sentencing. Uh, it's been the same story for 40, 50 years now in jurisdictions around the world. And... Uh, it seems that people are more lenient, more forgiving around, um, certainly around the less serious mm. crimes, but also perhaps surprisingly around some of the more serious crimes as well. Uh, so that you find through you be the judge, and again, the Sentencing Advisory Council website is an absolute brilliant website, huge source of information, well worth having a look at, and uh, particularly the virtual you be the judge is it's a lot of fun and it's yeah. really informative. And um, the analysis that they've done has shown how people are more lenient than the sentence that was actually imposed because these Mm. are cases that are based on real cases. And uh, it seems... Look, it's hard to know exactly what it is that um, is driving 
the what's being seen as important for the respondents. Some research that um, Austin Lovegrove did out of Melbourne Uni a number of years ago looked at mitigating and aggravating factors. And uh, Kate Warner and her and her colleagues' work has also talked a bit about this. And it's possible that uh, people are placing perhaps more weight on mitigating factors than a judge or magistrate might be doing. Um, they might be more personally persuaded or emotionally moved by mitigating factors such as, you know, a person's abuse as a child and subsequent drug use and things like that. Um, they also might be placing less weight on criminal history, for example, uh, which a judge or magistrate will be taking mm -hmm. into account when sentencing that may, may be seen as less important. We haven't really delved into that all that much. Again, referring back to Kate Warner's study, part of her research is doing interviews with participants to understand why they gave the responses that they did. Because hers is interesting in that uh, respondents are saying, the, the jurors themselves are saying that they would have preferred a more lenient sentence for property offences, for drug offences, for non-violent offences, uh, but not for sex offences, and in particular, child sex offences. And this is a thread that has run through, well, through the courts, through the media, through the Sentencing Advisory Council's work over many years. There's something about sex offences and child sex offences in particular that um, really makes it stand out in terms of people's responses to sentences and, and saying that they're far too lenient. Mm -hmm. Now, the council has done lots of work on this and has shown how far the average sentences are from the maximum possible sentence yeah. for child sex offences in particular. And, in fact, it's recommended getting some sentencing guidance in place for sentences to try and, you know, for magistrates and judges to try and increase the sentences for child sex offences. Um, it's a really, it, it seems to be a really unique category in yeah. terms of, of public attitudes and, uh, you know, understandably so. Yeah. So that's a case then where the public attitude towards something needs to be more punitive is then sort of advocated back to the courts and to government to say, well, public attitudes need to be more in line with what's going on. So actually advocating to push sentences up to be in line with public opinion, is that sort of what you're saying? Or? Well, the Sentencing Council has looked at this yeah, um, and that has been one of their recommendations. They've, they've mm. done work on sex offences yeah. over the last 10 years or so and there's a lot of, a lot of research that's, uh, that they've published and they've made recommendations and uh, the Sentencing Council, and I don't necessarily want to speak on, you know, yeah. for the Sentencing Council, I'm no longer part of it, um, but if you have a look at, at their remit, they are um, allowed to do their own research mm -hmm. and they also respond to um, the references from the Attorney General. Yeah. So it's a combination of that. Some of that is they've done their own research and some of it is in response to requests from the Attorney General. Yeah. Um, but certainly the, their research has shown that um, sentences for sex offences, and in particular child sex offences, have typically been a lot lower than they could be, yeah. as indicated by the maximum penalty. Not that all 
sentences need to be banging up against that maximum penalty, but they're a long way away. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so does it work in then in reverse for offences where people are more lenient, say a property offence where the public might view a sentence as too punitive? Does that work in reverse where then, you know, our agencies will go towards to the government and the courts and say, actually, this isn't in line, can we bring this down? Does it work that way? or it's Theoretically, it could. Yeah. Um, again, politically saying I'd like to bring down sentences for this offence yeah. and that offence is not something you see very often. Yeah. But certainly the, if the research is there, that's, if that's what the data show, then that's what the data show. Mm. Um, yeah. And it's up to the advocacy organisations to use the data as, as they see fit. Yeah. So because I was going to actually ask about the dangers or implications of, um, I guess, the misrepresentation of the portrayal of public attitudes towards sentencing. So I was going to actually ask about how um, a public that may be more lenient than media or government suggests what is the dangers or implications of that. But I can also see some for when maybe it's the opposite. So when so when maybe the public is maybe wanting more severe sentences, what's the dangers or implications of that? So maybe I guess the wider question is, so with this kind of portrayal of public attitude, what are the implications in our current system? Well, the courts don't sentence by public opinion. Yeah. They certainly have to um, you know, be aware of it. Magistrates mm. and judges are aware of it. They live in the community. They read the newspapers. They are aware of what's going on around them. Um, they do not sentence by, you know, public vote, though. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they're, they're part of, they're aware of what's happening, mm. but they certainly can't say, well, you know, the Herald Sun says that people are mad about this offence, I should be sentencing more harshly. They've got to simply go by the legal, the legal factors that they have to take into account. Mm. Um, the problem with, with making policy on the basis of this supposed punitiveness is that it tends to be bad policy. Mm. It tends to be reactive policy because it's, it's uh, you know, a particular incident will happen and there's suddenly a change in, in legislation and the maximum penalty has gone up and there's minimum penalties that come in and judicial discretion gets further and yeah. further tightened. And you tend to end up with bad policy that's based on emotion, not evidence. And the problem with that is that the more you you crack down using emotion and not the evidence, you're going to increase, you're going to blow out your prison Definitely. population. It's incredibly expensive. And not only is it expensive, it's, it's harmful. Yeah. You know, it can be... It, certainly can be harmful. The research shows that prison does not reduce crime and, in fact, can actually increase crime. So we need to think about that. When we're putting more and more people in prison and we've got these calls for getting tough on crime, if you end up with more people in prison, they have to come out someday. This is not America. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not in for multiple consecutive life sentences or 25 years. They, they come in, you know, they go in and they come out. And when they come out, they might be living next door to you. Do you want someone who has been, you know, treated well and fairly and humanely and who has been rehabilitated or do you want someone who's gone in on the basis of vengeance yeah. and has been treated inhumanely because of that? That's not who you want living next door to you. Mm. You want someone who's well treated so that they can be rehabilitated. It's got to be about 
rehabilitating people and then reducing the likelihood that they're going to re-offend because that then reduces the harm, it reduces the number of victims in the future. That's what we, you know, we have to protect people in the community by reducing the likelihood of re-offending. Yeah. I've got a question. Um, You said that politicians sort of think that they can't have a tough on crime approach and get elected. Is that true? Or do you think that's an incorrect perception? That they can't, that they... Can't get elected with a tough on crime without approach. A, without a tough on crime? Yeah. What you mean? Um, I've not seen too many people doing that, uh, getting elected by saying we need to be more reasonable and reasoned. Uh, look, I'm sure it can be done, and but I think it takes a brave politician. I, I really do. And depending on where in a media cycle you sit when an election comes about, um, we're currently in the throes of a moral panic around youth crime. So if a politician were now in the lead-up to the election to say, I think we need to keep young people out of prison and have them uh, participate more in education and use more alternatives to imprisonment, in the current news cycle, that's that's not going to go down well. Mm. We actually have to wrap up because we're just on time and I would have loved to get more into alternatives to imprisonment because that's where I was hoping we were going, but we've run out of time. Um, So if you are interested in learning about uh, Karen's work on alternatives to imprisonment, you should look her up because it's on the Sentencing Advisory Council's It is on the Sentencing Advisory Council website under publications and in the public opinion area. Yeah, and it's really interesting. So I suggest you look it up. It's currently 6.27 p.m. You've been listening to Done By Law on 3CR 855 a.m. I'd like to thank you, Karen, for coming along and chatting with us. Uh, Also, you've been listening via 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. Stay tuned for Voices of West Papua coming up next. Thanks for listening and good night. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.